Matthew chapter 9. Yes, we are starting a brand new chapter in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. And if you've been here for a little while, you understand why starting a new chapter is a kind of a milestone here at our church. And so Matthew chapter 9, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. If you're new to what we're doing, we're working through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are seeing Matthew's account of who Jesus is, his first-hand account. And what we're seeing is that the theme in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is king. It's reoccurring over and over and over again. He's a, a king who has power over sickness. He's a king who has power over Satan. And today we're going to see, well, he's a king who has power over storms. We saw that. And then today we're going to see that he's a king who has power over sin. He's taking it to a whole new level this morning. See, because Jesus, he can bring peace to a storm. We've already seen that out on the Sea of Galilee. He can bring peace to the physical waters that are out there and the clouds and, and cause things to settle down. But this is what we're going to learn today is that Jesus can bring peace to the storms in each of our lives. See, it's, it's one thing and it's miraculous to see peace come over a wa- uh, you know, a storm to dissipate and waves to stop. That's one amazing thing. But what's more amazing is when, some, when someone can bring peace to a person's heart. Jesus can bring peace to the storms that are going on within a person's heart. So the title of this morning's message is The King's Power to Forgive Sin. And let's pray and we will jump right into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've drawn us here together on this uh, morning here in Arcata. We thank you so much that you desire to speak to us. You have something very important to share with each one of us, myself included. We pray that we would be listening for you in our particular situation. We pray that we would see how powerful you actually are. And God, I pray if we've come in here with burden and a weight of sin, I pray that we would be listening for the answer to that overwhelming problem. Holy Spirit, I can't do the work in my own strength. So I ask that you would give me the power to do the will of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, we saw Jesus heal two demon-possessed men. And they went to a place, an area of the Gadarenes. It was on the east coast of the Sea of Galilee, this lake. Now, today, what's going to happen, well, after he healed them, you would have thought the town would have just loved Jesus and been like, wow, you've healed two of these men that have been like this for a long time. Instead, the people of the town come out, they see Jesus, they acknowledge that he did what he did, that he healed two demon-possessed men. They verified what he did. And then they begged him to leave. Because not everybody wants Jesus around. Because Jesus is bad for some people's business. When Jesus shows up, there's a level of conviction and there's holiness that is required. We're called to live lives of holiness, that we're called to be set apart, that we're called to live to God's standard and not the world's standard. And in that town, they loved their pigs, literally, more than they loved people. And they told Jesus to go away because he was bad for their pig business. And what did Jesus do? Jesus honored their decision and he left. But he left somebody he left one of those men who had been freed from demon possession, who was a different man. And he told that man, you go around to these towns. They've rejected me, but they can't reject the hometown boy. You go back to your hometown. You go around 
and you tell them about what I've done for you. And so even though Jesus went away, the word of God and the power of God was still proclaimed there in that city. Now, today, as we look, I'm going to put a map up here. We're going to zip back across to the other side of the lake. So we were on the east side of the lake there. And this Sunday, our message and some of the events that will happen will happen back up north at Capernaum. And Capernaum is the place where Peter had moved to. And it's the place where Jesus kind of had as a home base, if you will. Um, quite a few miracles are happening in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 8 and 9. And, you know, these 10 miracles or so that are happening in chapters 8 or 9, half of them are happening up there in Capernaum. And so that's where our scene shifts and that's where we're going back uh, today. So if you look in Matthew chapter 9, let's just uh, read uh, two verses here and then we'll um, talk about it here. Matthew 9 verses 1 and 2. And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, Capernaum. Verse 2. And behold... Some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Okay. So when he gets the other side, he finds himself in a place and a paralyzed man and and some Bible versions say palsy, which would be a degenerative kind of paralysis. In other words, he wasn't born paralyzed. It's something that developed and got worse as he grew older. But now it's pretty serious. He gets brought to Jesus. We've been looking at parallel passages. So Matthew has his account. Well, if we're going to read a story, we should look in the other gospels to see if there are parallel passages. And Mark has one and Luke has one for the same story. So on your screen, what you'll see is you'll see Mark's account of the same thing. And he's going to fill in some details of what happened there with this man. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was, re- it was reported that he was at home. So he went from, the, from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the, to the north side. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. So they're inside a home. No room even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. What an amazing thing. Like, I, what kind of a Bible study would Jesus give? Like... Talk about the greatest teacher teaching there. And it's like, oh, Jesus wants to come to your home so that he can teach a Bible study. (laughs) Submit, yes, yes, please. Yes, you can come. And yes, you can teach a Bible study. Word had spread about him. Only so many people can pack into the house. And people are coming to hear him and for healings and all of those things. Well, then Mark continues on. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. Okay. Four guys are carrying this paralytic because he needed help to be carried. He couldn't get there by himself. But then they get there and they realize, well, we can't get in. Verse four. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, (laughs) this is awesome. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, there's more and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, no, let's just read it now. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, uh, <laughs> this is a little bit extreme. There's no way to read this and just go, that's not extreme. If, you know, there was somebody famous visiting at your house or somebody, you know, there was just, and it was packed. And all of a sudden you hear a sound and you look up 
and the roof is being taken apart so that somebody could be sent down by rope, I think that's dramatic. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may read the story and go, oh yeah, that's right. That's the one where the four guys, they lowered the, the guy that was paralyzed down to Jesus. How are we saying it like that? How are we saying it? That is a big deal. Also, their roofs, their roofs were like these thatched roofs. And what they would do then is they would then put mud on top and then they'd put more of the thatching on there. So it was a mixture of the natural thatch as well as mud. It kind of dried together and hardened together. That were that was their roof. So this idea is like, you know, they're taking tools and like going at the roof. It's not a simple like, oh, let me remove the roof panel. Very neat, very tidy. No, not neat, not tidy. Dirt falling on people in the house. Pretty dramatic. And... um there's a picture here. I want to show you this picture. This is, it's called the, the palsied man let down through the roof by James Tissot. Uh, it's from the 1890s. It's a watercolor and it hangs in the Brooklyn Museum. That's the painting over there. And this is kind of a close up with Jesus here and the palsied man there. And the, the thing with this one, I mean, I, I appreciate this for a, a couple things, but there's no dirt down here. It's very clean. Did they just pull out like their Dyson vacuum and like just suck up all the dirt? Like what happened here? How, how is it so clean? It's not like there's a roof panel. And I understand the artwork, it's to serve a different purpose. It's not meant to be um, accurate to all the details. What I love about this is I love four uh, men that you see up there who without them being bold, this wouldn't have happened. In the body of Christ, there's different um, types of uh, personalities. I'm sure you've noticed that, right? There are the street corner preachers. And I don't know how you feel about the street corner preachers. It, you may just go, that's not my style. And for me, that's not, my, that's not how I'm wired. I'm wired in a different way. I'm wired in a, hey, if you want to have a conversation, I'll talk to you for hours. And I do literally mean hours. I'll talk to you. We'll get to the end of your questions as best as I can answer them. And if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. But I'll look for the answer and I'll come back to you. I've been called to teach the word systematically. I've been taught to teach the word in a way that helps the person who's hearing have understanding. God wires Christians in different ways. And that's, we're a body of Christ, right? We're, we have different, we're not all legs or arms or eyes. That would be gross. But uh, we all have a unique way and part and purpose in the body of Christ. And there are some that are called to be the street corner preachers. So even if you look and you go, ah, that's not really my style. Have you prayed for them though? You should be praying for them. Well, it just seems like maybe they're coming across a little bit too condemning. Then just pray God works in them. And if that's what God wants to do, that he would soften their approach maybe a little bit. But just realize that there are people that get saved through ministry like that. Okay. And so just because you have a person, personal style or preference, that's not the only way that God can work. And when I look at this story, this is kind of like the, we're going to get this done. Our friend needs to see Jesus and we're going to do whatever it takes. I appreciate that approach because not every Christian is called to have this. I'm going to tear the roof off approach. There are some that are like, I'll just wait in line. (laughs) I'll wait a few hours and I'll wait till Jesus has a moment and then I'll go do that. But I'll do it. It just will be in a different time frame or different methodology. So for me, a a passage like this, this is a little bit more bold and, dare I say, brash. (laughs) Uh, Tearing off somebody's roof is no small feat. 
And odds are, I'm just going to say this, you can't, this can't be proven, but odds are this wasn't any of these four men's houses. You're tearing off somebody else's roof. So it's not like, oh yeah, the first thing that, that I think is, whatever it takes, let's make something happen. No, not really. There's, because here's the downside to that. If somebody gets stuck on that setting, then they get stuck and we're just going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And then they end up trampling over people and um, they can even isolate and alienate people by their actions. So just understand like, okay, this is the way I'm going to deal with everything. I'm going to figuratively tear the roof off of any problem I have and just do it. Well, okay, calm down. Sometimes God has you have take a more tactful approach. But in this situation here, when I first read it, I was a bit challenged because this methodology is a little bit more bold and forward than my default methodology. For me, God's wired me to play the long game. How long? Until I see Jesus face to face. Humboldt County? It's not a thing. It's not a big... Oh, it's really dark here. It's real challenging. Of course it is, but just be faithful. Just be faithful. You'll outlast it. You'll outlast it. Just keep loving people. Yeah, but it's hard. Well, yeah, you got to do it more than one day. Yeah. You got to do it two days and three days and four years and two decades and four decades and five decades. And Jesus, here you are. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, so Humboldt County is challenging spiritually. God is more powerful than Humboldt County. So Christian, just be faithful. So I'm wired more for that. Like just be faithful and, and play the long game. Because <laughs> the long game, I know who wins the long game. I know, because he's already won. He's already won. But there are moments, looking at this story, for a bit of boldness, for things to be turned up a little bit, for things to be done. And I appreciate these four men who got something done. If we can go back to that painting again. Um, <laughs> the person that really gets me is this guy next to Jesus. If you can see, he's got his eyes, his hands over his face like, no, what are you doing? I wonder if this is the homeowner. <laughs> I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if that's, I don't know. Right? But uh, I love painting because you start to look like every face, like there's some fear, there's people like doing this. Every face tells the story. And, uh, and just to see Jesus receiving him. I love that about this painting is that you see Jesus here. Jesus is not like, oh, I cannot believe what you've done. Have you been hanging around Peter? Is that what you four guys have been doing? Why would you damage a man's house? Why would you? Why? Jesus does not say a single thing about those. Because what that tells me is that in this situation, this was the correct method. I think it's great when we put people around us that aren't like us personality wise. Some of my closest friends don't have my same personality and it complements my personality. It covers my blind spots. They'll sometimes bring up a point in a way that I've never, ever thought about it. And so I'm so thankful for the people that God has brought around me. If you're married, it shouldn't be surprising that your spouse doesn't always see things from your perspective. I wish you would just do it my way. Well, their way may not be wrong. It's just different. I don't like different. But here's the thing. You need that perspective. And so in the body of Christ, we shouldn't... Um, it worries me when we see churches that are... I'm going to say this word. I think it's right. Homogenized? Yeah, that's right. What does that mean? It all looks the same. All the people look the same. 
They're all of the same age, same ethnicity, same background, same financial, uh, um, uh, monetary background, all that stuff. Uh, I look and I, I see the body of Christ as being uh, very diverse. So when the body of Christ comes together, there should be a diversity that's not artificially manufactured. It just is the way that it is. And we shouldn't strive, and this is sometimes what I see in church at times, is this striving to make church look a certain way. It's got to be older and sing hymns. It's got to be younger and sing choruses. We've got to have colored lights. We can't have colored lights. No electronic instruments. All electronic instruments. Wait, how about we ask God what he wants? And how about we just let him let it become what he wants? Because he is, in fact, Jesus is, in fact, the head of the church. We are never called to determine church size or church type. We open the doors. We love everybody that comes in and you let the Lord determine what the body looks like. And so with that diversity of approach, you see four guys that they felt it was the right thing to do. They loved their friend so much. They felt it was the right thing to do to get him to Jesus at whatever cost, however it would happen. And now I'm sure that it wasn't like, well, it doesn't matter who dies. We're still going to get him. No, I'm sure it wasn't like that. But they just, they were bolder than the average person, I would say. And that's good in the body of Christ to have people that are bold. Now you have to rein them in from time to time because sometimes they get out of control and you have to be like, okay, chill down, chill out just a second. Everything is not an emergency. Calm down. The door, there's nobody in the house. You could just walk through the front door. You don't have to always go through the roof, right? Um, but this is what I love about this story here. It's a fact. You and I, we can't save our friends. But if you're a Christian, you know somebody that can. But you can't save your friends. So if you're trying, like I can, maybe I can, maybe I can, wait, the best you can do is this. You refer them to the person who can help them. It's Jesus. And so you you make the introduction. Hey, there's somebody that I know and I'd like you to meet him. So these four men are making an introduction for this paralyzed friend, this man with palsy to meet and introduce him to Jesus. And I just love this. In the Bible, we see friends bringing their disabled friends to Jesus. Disabled. You mean like paralyzed in sickness? That too. I mean disabled by sin. I mean disabled by overwhelming grief. I mean disabled by addiction, pain, sorrow, depression. You see in the Bible, friends bringing their disabled friends to Jesus because they themselves were disabled until they met Jesus. And so they know the person that they can bring people to. Interesting about this passage and this story here, we don't see the paralyzed guy ever asking his friends to take him to Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. You you know it. You've got this person, you're a good friend with them, and you're just like, man, they just need to go to church. They just need to give their life to the Lord. And so it's like, well, what can I do? You are their friend, right? Hey, let's hang out. When you want to hang out, let's hang out Sunday. Let's go get, let's go get a bite to eat. Hey, football game is going to be on this afternoon. Why don't you come over to my house? But first, why don't you come with me to church? Let's go to church and then we'll go to football game. Oh, can I do that? I don't know. Are you their friend? Are you their friend? Because if you're a friend and your only thing that you really connect with are, are things that have no value eternally, then what kind of a friendship is that? And I know what I just said is very heavy, but please think about those words. 
If we're just like, hey, we hang out and we, 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 we just, we, we're together in lots of things, but when it comes to spiritual stuff, we just don't talk about it. Do you care about them as a friend? Well, I'm praying for them. That's awesome. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop that. But have you ever invited them? Well, I don't know how they would feel about that. Again, I bring you back to the original question. Are you their friend? Friends bring, bring their friends to Jesus. We see that in the Bible. And you think about this. I think about parents and grandparents that bring their child or grandchild to church at a very young age. And that's why that child knows who Jesus is at a young age, because someone brought them. It wasn't like at a young age, a child was like, you know what? I think I really need to go to church. It took somebody that cared about them that said this would be great for them. And so I'm going to help make a way. And so maybe it is for that grandmother who brought their grandchildren to church faithfully, even though it was challenging to do so health wise or distance wise or whatever for her to pick a church where they're going. They have kids that are my grandkids age. And so I want them to go there so that they can connect and grow and know who the Lord is. God is going to honor that grandmother's sacrifice. In a sense, that grandmother tore the roof off the house to get her grandchildren to meet Jesus. I think sometimes we can um, have the skin of a jellyfish sometimes. I'm so afraid what people will think. Newsflash. Some people will agree with you. Some people will disagree with you. There you go. That's how it works. On what point? On all points. (laughs) So, So, it's okay for you to be bold about where you stand with Christ. Well, some will disagree. Yes, and guess what? Some will agree. Some will be saved. Some people that you know that are disabled by sin will find the answer to their disability in the person of Jesus Christ. Mature Christians should be pointing other people to Jesus. Galatians 6, 9, Paul writing to the church in Galatia, he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap, look at this, if we do not give up. It doesn't mean you tried for a day or a week or a month. I tried, I tried church, I tried this for, I tried. What does that even mean you tried? What does that mean? Have you tried eating? Yeah, I tried. I had a meal that I didn't like. So you quit. Somehow you have made it through. You worked through that food poisoning. I got food poisoning once and so I've just written off eating. I, that's not good for you. I had a bad experience at church once. So I've written off church. That has worse consequences than not eating. And by the way, if you've been hurt at church, there are quite a few that have been. I'd be one. But have you given up? So you've given up. So people failed you. And so you decided, I'm going to isolate myself from people now. Now, odds are that's not who you are because you happen to be sitting in a church building at this moment. But you're listening on the radio or you're listening on the internet. Maybe that's why. You could come to church, but you choose to just, I'm just going to listen. This is enough. It's all about me and God. That's not the way God designed the body of Christ. I'm sorry. Your theology is wrong. God designed the body of Christ that we would be knit together. He would be the head. It's not about, oh, it's just me and Jesus. And God wants you to work through when you're offended or when you are challenged with other believers. God wants you to work through that. So when you work through it, you grow. You actually grow stronger as a believer when you work through that. And so I think about this. When I came to know Christ, the way that it happened for me personally, it was my friends at college who noticed I had a Bible on my shelf 
And they said, well, Jim, hey, uh, if you're ever interested, I remember it was like on a Friday or Saturday night, it was the weekend was coming up and they were like, hey, Jim, you want to come to church? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And I'd known them for like a year, almost two years now. And I'm like, they're cool guys. I trust them and they go to church and that's cool. I just like to sleep in on Sundays. And so, but okay, I'll go. And I went and I was like, it's a bit weird. It was a little different. I'd never been to a church that way. And it's a church kind of like how our church was. <laughs> First time I went, I was like, that's kind of weird. I don't know. I don't see the robes and the choir and the organ. And I don't see, you know, the, the railing. And I don't see the pews. And I'm like, I don't. And what, it's like, what are they singing? These are not hymns. This is so disrespectful. <laughs> and so, uh, um, and so I didn't know what to take of it. So I didn't go back to church the next week or the week after. But you know what they kept doing? Gently, but consistently. We're like, hey, Jim, we missed you. Hey, if you ever want to come, we'd love to have you come. Sunday morning, there'd be times where there'd be a knock on my door. Hey, Jim. Oh, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, we're going to church in like 10 minutes. You ought to come. Ah, sure. Why not? Persistence. Loving persistence. Not annoying persistence. Not get under your sin persistence. Not condemning persistence. Loving persistence. And I knew those guys cared for me. They weren't trying to harass me. And if I ever said no, they were just like, no problem. We just wanted, we just didn't want you to be left out. And we didn't want you to feel like we didn't want you to come with us. I really respected that. And I appreciated that because it wasn't being shoved down my throat. It was being, it was kind of like a plate of cookies. Here's a plate of cookies. If you want one, you can grab one. You don't have to. It wasn't like somebody jamming cookies down my mouth going, you're going to love this. They're wonderful. Like, <laughs> And some people's approach to Christianity and telling other people is to shove the cookie down the mouth. And it's like, stop. Just talk about who Jesus is and invite them to partake and keep praying for them. And don't you ever stop. Well, um, for me, it didn't happen the first time or the first conversation, but it happened over that consistency. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe there's some people that you stop. You've stopped being that um, consistent, loving example to because they said no once and you if you're going to be honest, got hurt inside. You're like, well, fine then. Fine. Okay. I don't care. Whatever. Just trying to serve Jesus. Just trying to invite people to church. Don't care about them. And I don't care about you. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> like, whoa, that got, that, that, that went pretty large, pretty quick there. How about we like, how about that's just one step in the process of you asking them. And maybe it won't happen until they have a tragedy or some pain in their life or death in their family. And then they look and they think in their memory about the person in their life that they could talk to. And then you come to mind. Why? Because you were a person that talked about Jesus. And then they call you and they go, hey, listen, man, this thing happened and this challenging thing happened in my life. And there's your door that's opened up. How did it open up? By you being consistent in the past. You know, um, Romans 15, 1 and 2, just to encourage you again to just love people consistently, for me as well. We who are strong, in other words, if you call yourself a Christian who's in the faith, you've been a Christian for a while, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. In other words, there'll be others that don't understand why they need Jesus. They won't understand the importance of it. And not to please ourselves. Because there are times, let's be honest, you're like, I don't want to have to deal with no again. I don't have to keep asking. I don't want to keep... If you are strong in the faith, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please yourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. What would be for his good, for her good, to know Jesus, to have a personal relationship with Jesus? That would be for their good. You know, there's that phrase, you know, that, or that short two-word sentence, you know, do good. What's the best good you can do? Introduce somebody to who Jesus is. Their life will be changed forever. 
Well, the other thing that I see here with these guys as they're lowering their friend down is they encourage, they encourage me to realize that people are called to serve together. I'm just going to do this by myself. I'm just going to isolate myself. No, don't go Lone Ranger when you serve the Lord. Serve with others around you. Well, if I serve with others around me, then they're going to do things maybe differently or they're going to have an opinion. Welcome to earth. Yes, that's how it is. And welcome to the body of Christ. That's how it is. And yes, it may not be, here's the thing, as efficient as you want. If I introduce another person into this and the way it's done, it won't be as efficient. Uh, Christianity isn't about efficiency. Because if it was, God wouldn't be using any human being at all. The most efficient way is to not use people. People are messy. You and I included. So it's not about efficiency. It's about relationship. How do we have relationship? By serving alongside of others. And so you serve with one another. The other thing about this passage, which I love, is Jesus saw their saw the faith. And if you look in, if you uh, look on the screens and if we could just bring up the Mark verse one more time, um, the last part, the very last part says this, look at the last verse uh, here. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Check this out. It didn't say when Jesus saw his faith. It said when Jesus saw their faith, Okay, so that right off the bat means more than one person. We're not talking about just one person. And I wonder, and this is how I feel, but I think Jesus is not talking about the paralytic. I think Jesus is talking about his four friends. I think Jesus is saying, when he saw their faith, he said, son, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. On the basis of the faith of your friends who knew that I would be able to do the miraculous, I want you to know Son, that you are forgiven of your sins. For a paralytic, would he even have been able to express that he's struggling with sin? You know what's so great is Jesus doesn't need you to say in words what you struggle with. He knows what you struggle with. And so with this paralyzed guy, he comes down, Jesus commends the faith of those that are bringing him, and then Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. Do you, do you realize how much of a burden has come off of that man's shoulders? Just realizing my sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. So you continue to be faithful to show the love of Jesus to those around you. Because God can do an amazing work in their life based on the fact that you have been faithful in reaching out to them. Again, how many children have, been, have, have known who Jesus Christ is and been forgiven of their sins because of a faithful parent, mom, grandmother, grandfather, neighbor next door who said, I'll take them up with our kids. Sure, we'll go to church. So I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to not give up and to keep going. The question that I have, and this was for me and, um, and it's for us too this morning. Does your life show, not do your words say, does your life show that you have a persevering faith for the lost people around you? Not looking at any words you say. If we were just to look at how your life is lived, does it show that you have a faith that is persevering, not for yourself, for the people that are lost around you? And Humboldt County is full of them. Do you have a heart for them? I have a heart for them. Okay, good. Is your heart a persevering heart? Or are you quickly, quickly discouraged? Why are you discouraged? Don't you realize that God is all-powerful? Yes, maybe you're done for the day, but God's not done for the day. You just need to ask God for His 
patience, his power, his strength. Because God has a persevering love for the people of our community here. I have this other question here, and I don't want you to get offended by this, but please listen to this. Have you given up on the people of this county? Just be honest. Have you given up on them? You've been like, I tried. I've been trying. I tried for like a, you know, a couple years. I don't know. I don't see any fruit. I don't see. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm just going to kind of hunker down in my life and in my house. And I'm just going to try to survive this life with the craziness of our, our county, our country, our world. And hopefully soon I'll see Jesus face to face. Christian, you were never called to go hide. You were called to go out and love people. You were called that called out to go out and find those that are paralyzed by their sin. And you were called to, at your own sacrifice, bring them to a place where they can meet Jesus. That's what you're called to do. This life isn't about you and I. It's about God being honored and glorified in our life. It's going to come at a cost. Does it have to cost? Yes, it does have to cost. So if you're trying to find a way to follow Jesus at no cost, there's no way to follow Jesus at no cost. What will it cost me? Get ready for this. Everything. Everything. You have to be willing to give everything for Jesus. Does that mean he'll ask for everything? No, not necessarily. But you and your heart have to be willing to go, Jesus, whatever you need of me. Okay, I'll cut out my hobby or that project that I've been working on that I so enjoy, but that time would be best served for others. Oh, the things and stuff that I have, I have multiple copies of multiple things and stuff. I don't need all this stuff. God, change my purchasing habits so I'm not continually trying to find peace in stuff. Rather, that I would direct the gift you've given me to have finances, that I would direct it to others who don't. You got to realize that you have a purpose here on this planet. And it's to reach other people for Christ in the way that God made you. So if you're not that street corner preacher, don't worry. God's not going to call you to be the street corner preacher. But he is going to call you to be the person he created you to be in the unique way that he made you. And there's people that God will use you to reach the way he made you to be. I just want to encourage you to go in that way. I love this. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. How amazing is that? And so if you've read this story before, you know this. You know that this paralyzed man, spoiler, is going to be healed. Physically. Physically. He's going to be healed of his paralysis. Have you ever wondered this question? Why didn't Jesus just heal his paralysis, physical paralysis? Why didn't he heal that first? Why didn't he heal that first? And then why didn't he afterwards go, by the way, son, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. Here's why. Because Jesus took care of the more important thing first. The more important thing was not his physical condition. The more important thing was not the thing that everybody else saw. The thing that was eating that man up alive was inside him. It was his own sin. And so Jesus, knowing all things, addressed the more important thing first and said, son, I want you to know you've been calling out. Your sins are forgiven you internally. Peace. And then for Jesus to do something miraculous, which we'll see he'll end up healing. But there are many times that even in our own lives, you may wonder and you may have found yourself shaking your fist to God going, God, why don't you deal with this issue? And here's why. Because God's saying that's not actually the issue. Sometimes we get stuck on the physical issue and God's like, 
The actual issue is far deeper than your physical issue. Well, God, my marriage, it's falling apart. It is. I'm still with you. And in and through this pain you're going through, I'm working on a deeper issue, which is your own heart. I don't want to hear that. God, I just want you to fix the thing that I see. God does things in priority. And the biggest problem that we have in this world is the sin problem. And so Jesus here addresses it. You know, sin has this paralyzing effect on people. And the longer you live, if you are not a person with relationship with Jesus, if you're not a Christian, here's what your life looks like. It looks like an accumulation of all your sin. That the longer you live has been building up in your life. You know when no one else is around, you know who you really are. You know the people that you have lied to and cheated and defamed and, and cussed out. The heartlessness that you've had. You know all that stuff. You know it. And it's not going anywhere. It's building in your life. And the longer a person goes without being a believer, that accumulation is crushing. There is this fund that the government, the U.S. government has. It's called the Conscience Fund. The Conscience Fund was established in 1811. And it started out with a $5 contribution. What is the Conscience Fund? It's a fund that our government has to this day for people who have cheated the government and their conscience has gotten the better of them and they want to give money back. It's existed since 1811. The first, the first uh, um, contribution was a $5 contribution. Since then, there's over $6 million in the conscience fund that's been given to it over 200 years. And this conscience fund, I mean, it went, uh, there was a nine cent donation made to the conscience fund from a person in Massachusetts. And the reason is because they reused a three cents postage stamp. And so they felt their conscience, the sin. Is it sin? It is sin. And it bothered this person so much, they're like, I want to repay the other stamp and then another stamp as well. I want to pay nine cents because I, I defrauded the government of three cents, six cents, whatever that would be. Another one, a person in New Jersey sent $40,000 in several installments because they had taken $8,000 from the government. Their conscience wouldn't let them go. The sin would not release them and sin won't release you. People just get really practiced and good at pushing it down, but it's eating them up inside. I mean, for this, this conscience fund, the stories go on and on and on. Here's one. Uh, one of the donors uh, said this, Dear Internal Revenue Service, I have not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income tax. Enclosed, you will find a cashier's check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> it's a real letter, a real quote. And so that, that person is testing it going, maybe I'll just partially try to deal with it. Sorry, you're still not going to get a good night's sleep because your sin won't allow it. And so, where do you stand with that? You know, there's people that mock and laugh and scoff at sin. And yet, they have to deal with their own sin every single day. They have to realize when they look in the mirror, you are not a good person. Oh, the world just tells me to say I'm a good person, say I'm a good person. So you're practiced at lying to yourself to your face now. When you know in your heart of hearts that there is something critically wrong within you, that is the sin issue. That is what this palsied man had. He had a sin issue. 
And I'm not saying the sin issue is why he was paralyzed. There is no connection that's made in this story. I'm just saying that he had a sin issue and Jesus addressed that issue first. The, the buildup of, of all of your sins, you think about it, the failures of yesterday, broken marriages, a hidden affair, a secret abortion, those things, they don't go away. And unless you have a person who releases you from your sin, a person who, how does he release you from it? He says, I will take it on me. Your sin, I will take it. I will exchange your sin and wait. I take it and I give you my peace. But the peace doesn't come unless there's an exchange. And so for a person that's like, well, I'm going to live in sin and have peace. Sorry, those are mutually exclusive. You won't have both. Pick. Pick. If you want to live in your sin, then God will not give you his peace because peace cannot reside where sin is allowed to reign. And so, how far though will God take my sin? Because I've done a lot of stuff you don't understand. Hmm. Psalm 103 verse 12. For the person who is forgiven by God, he has forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. He separates them and they're on, they're going in two different directions now and they will never touch again. That is the freedom that this world truly is longing for. That freedom from sin. So, as we are looking, I said we'd look at eight verses, right? Matthew chapter nine, let's look at verse three. Jesus told this guy that he was forgiven of sins, right? And so everybody goes, yay, wonderful. This Jesus is amazing. No, wherever there's a work of God, there's always going to be people that are grumbling and don't like what God's doing. Verse three, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. What does that mean? They realized that this Jesus, he just said this man's forgiven. You can't forgive a person of sin. Only God can forgive a person of sin. So whenever somebody says, well, Jesus never said he was God, um, just look at how the scribes and Pharisees react and you will realize that Jesus clearly made a note that he is God. This verse right here, why did they say he's blaspheming? Blaspheming means you're saying you're God. That's because Jesus was. He was doing something that only God could do because Jesus is God. Verse four, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Man, he addresses those scribes. Why are you thinking evil thoughts? See, the scribes didn't approve of the way that this person was forgiven simply by asking Jesus. Wait, Jim, where did, where did this person ask Jesus for forgiveness? You mean verbally? He was paralyzed. I love how God is able to know our heart. And so you may have a person who has some physical disability or a person who um, is a little slower when it comes to learning or a person who um, they're paralyzed physically. And it's just like, how can God reach them? I remember when I looked at my dad on a hospital bed, he could barely talk. He had a tube stuck halfway through down his mouth. And I was just, I just, I prayed the sinner's prayer with him in the hospital in India. And I just was praying by faith. I said, God, I said, dad, I said, God can hear you. So you don't have to say it. I said, I know you can't say anything right now. I said, but God loves you and God will forgive you. You just have to ask him in your heart. And the great thing is a a few days later, after the tube came out of his mouth, I asked him if he, if he asked the Lord into his heart and he said, yes. And I was like, all right, he's saved. So this paralyzed man in his heart was longing for a solution to his sin, called out to God. Jesus answered him. And these scribes think it's an evil thing that Jesus would be able to free a man just because he wanted to be freed of sin. 
They felt that you have to work for it. You got to really work this thing up. Verse number five, Jesus then doubles down. I love it. Jesus isn't back off at all. Verse five, for which is easier to say, he asked these scribes, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk. He just asked him a question. You don't like the fact that I told this guy his sins are forgiven. Okay. What's easier to just say your sins are forgiven or to actually have this man rise up and walk this paralyzed guy. And that's a wonderful question. Let's ask ourselves this question. Which is easier, to forgive somebody of sin or to heal them of para- physical paralysis? And here's the thing. For a human being, both are not possible. Both are impossible. A human being can't forgive somebody of sin, the root issue, and a human being can't heal somebody of paralysis. So when Jesus says, for which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Here's the other question. For Jesus, which one is harder? Neither are. They're both possible. Jesus can forgive somebody of sins and Jesus can heal them of paralysis. Jesus was kind of pointing out to those guys, listen, guys, you can't do either of these two things. Watch me do both of those things. He doubles down. You have the critics and the skeptics and Jesus says, watch what I do next. And what Jesus is doing here is he's putting his entire ministry on the line. Because if he doesn't come through in this moment, guess what? Fake. He's a fake. See, he's a fake. Jesus didn't have to say this, but instead Jesus says, watch me double down on what I said. Now, remember, I just said this, that Jesus, to be able to forgive somebody or to say, rise up and walk, Jesus is able to do both of those things, right? He can do that. He can forgive somebody and heal them physically. But we must remember this. For Jesus to do those two things, there's a different cost that comes to Jesus for those two things. And I think that's very important to see in the story here. To heal a man physically, all Jesus has to do is say a word and the man is healed. To forgive a person of sins, listen, it's going to cost Jesus his life. To forgive a person of sins is going to cost Jesus his life. To heal a person who just says a word, to to forgive somebody of sin, he is going to have to die himself. So for Jesus, does one have a greater cost than the other? Yes, it does. And Jesus will show in a few short years that he is willing to pay the cost for every person on the planet. He didn't just say the words, he did it. You know, this idea, you know, Sunday morning, like right here, maybe when you came in this morning, you looked at the bulletin and you're like, oh, okay, you know, there's a nice uh, graphic there with the church. And yeah, oh, the king's power to forgive. Oh, man. Ah, here we go. Here we go. Sin. We're going to talk about sin. can't believe we're going to talk about sin. I have to say this. No, I'm not going to say this. I'm going to quote J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer said this. He said, if we do not preach about sin and God's judgment on it, we cannot present Christ as Savior from sin and from the wrath of God. I got to tell you, if you have an issue or believing in sin or that God is going to judge sin, then I have to ask you this question. Why did Jesus come to this planet? Why did he waste his time coming if sin is not real? Why did he die on a cross if sin isn't real? What was he doing up there? What, he had nothing else to do, so he decided to go get to walk up there and to be crucified, to allow himself to be crucified? Is that the logic? Because if sin isn't talked about and God's judgment isn't talked about, then Jesus wasted his time coming. 
And what we get then is we get this mixing of secular thinking and trying to take a little bit of Jesus that we like. Well, Jesus is nice and he died on a cross, but I don't want to talk about sin. Well, then I have to say, why did he die on a cross? Sorry, you can't take talk about Jesus and not talk about what he did on the cross and what he paid for on the cross. You can't separate the two. And so that's why you and I shouldn't be afraid to talk about sin. We just need to make sure we're saying it in such a way that we're not condemning people. Because we have to remember, hey, the person that's talking to you is a person that was underneath the weight, the crushing weight of sin until Jesus forgave me. So we come to people with that kind of a heart. We want them to listen. We're not here to shut them down and to make them feel like God doesn't love them. We want to give them hope. Remember, God always gives people hope. Verse number six, seven, and eight. Jesus continues. He asks that question, what's greater? What's harder to do? To forgive a person or, or to heal them? Verse six, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, to prove that I did forgive that guy's sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. Verse seven, and he rose and he went home. What an amazing walk that was for that guy. Never thought he would walk again. Never thought that he would much less be able to walk into his own house. He came to Jesus with assistance. He walked away unburdened, forgiven. That is a picture of what it's like when you come to Jesus with your sins. You're coming, you're being carried in. Maybe somebody invited you to come to church so you can hear about this Jesus But then you have to, in your heart, you have to ask Jesus yourself. Nobody can ask him on your behalf. You have to ask him personally. And I tell you this, everyone that Jesus has, that has asked Jesus to forgive them of sins, Jesus has forgiven. So verse number eight, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God who who had given such authority to men. And so to talk about sin just one more time here. I think it's important. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says this. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. That's what life is like without Christ. Yeah, you may appear that everything's great, but underneath the surface, the sea is just boiling and rolling. And its waters toss up mire and dirt, all the junk from your life all those past memories, all the unforgiven stuff because you've never asked God to forgive you. It's all there and it gets churned up and always at the wrong moment. And then it says, there is no peace, says my God for the wicked. You've heard that phrase, right? The common phrase we have, hey, no rest for the wicked. This is where that comes from. And we use that phrase in jokingly, man, you're working really hard. Well, you know, man, no rest for the wicked. If only we actually knew what its context was, because this is the context. It's the context of a person who has not been forgiven of their sins. And if we use the ESV or even the King James, there is no rest. There's no peace for the wicked. Oh, who's wicked? Anybody who rejects a savior who lovingly came to this planet and gave himself for them. Remember what Jesus said to those scribes. Why are you thinking evil? To reject Jesus is Listen, evil and an offense to God. You can't reject Jesus and not have a consequence. And so I just want to let you know, I didn't make this up and I'm not, I'm not like just telling you this to make you feel bad. I just, I think you deserve to know the honest truth that to reject Christ 
is a life of wickedness. And I also want you to know this. I want you to have peace because God wants you to have peace. You cannot have peace as long as you reject God. Accept His love. Accept His grace. Accept His forgiveness. Only God can forgive you of your sin. Our worship team is going to come up and I'm going to ask if you could bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And if you're here this morning and you're just burdened by sin, you're overwhelmed, you're being crushed by your sin, you've been hearing this message all about the power of Jesus to forgive sin, to do what only God can do. If you want to experience that freedom that only comes through Christ, then I would encourage you to humble yourself and ask Him right now. You can pray a prayer something like this. You can pray to Jesus and say, Dear Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I am a sinner. I have wronged others and I have wronged God. I am well aware of the darkness within me. I need help. I need help, Jesus, that only you can give. Jesus, please, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. That you would take them, all of them. And I ask that you would please give me something I lack, your peace. Please fill that hole inside of me with your peace. Give me power, please, to walk in a righteous way. Help me with what I struggle with. And Jesus, help me be an example to the people in my life. Help me to point people to you. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe that you bled on a cross for me. And Jesus, I believe you rose again. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for making me a Christian. As we do have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if there is someone in here, I won't embarrass you at all, but if there's anybody in here that prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand just so that I could see? I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. You can put your hands down. Oh, Papa, I just pray you would absolutely uh, wrap your arms around these dear people. I so thank you, God, that in the Scriptures, every time someone came to you and asked for your help, you did not reject them. You always received them. That's your heart. I thank you you receive these dear folk. And I thank you that you are not going to leave them now. (laughs) In fact, the opposite. You're going to lead them as their good shepherd every day of their life, all the way up until the point where they see you face to face. Lord, use them as an example and encouragement to the people around them who are paralyzed by sin. I pray that the joy of the Lord would fill their hearts. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.